Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. In-depth coverage and timely analysis of macro and micro happenings in crypto and Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller Insider. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, gather around. It's time for another exciting episode of Thriller Insider. Today is February 5th, 2021, and we are talking MicroStrategy World Now 2021 Day 2 Recap. That's right. <laughs> this is about a, a 24-hour uh, delay on this episode, but, you know, it's uh, we do our best here. We do our best to cover it all. And today's highlights, we're covering Day 2, which happened yesterday, but, you know, I had it all recorded, but, you know, it was one of those things where, like, I was watching it, and as I was watching it all, there's really only three really good panels, uh, you know, of the whole of the whole day, because uh, it, it just felt like a very much a commercialized uh, Bitcoin offering. <laughs> it, seriously, like, there is a total of, like, eight different panels, about 25, 30 minutes a piece, uh, and they all just felt like infomercials. So I pulled the three best panels and I, I crunched them down to what I think are, are the best. And we're, we're starting right off the bat, right? You know, because this is the first year for MicroStrategy, right? We know they're the, the first publicly traded company to invest significant treasury assets into Bitcoin. That's right. They're holding big old bags, big old buckets of Bitcoin <laughs> on their balance sheet. And Michael Saylor is a Bitcoin bull, right? He's probably happy right now. Bitcoin's you're shooting off into the stars right now at 39k right and uh you know on their second day they're pretty much you know talking about bitcoin products services for corporations and they're interviewing all the the exchanges and they're introducing them to the corporations and they're basically gonna say here you go these are the exchanges these are the people you need to talk to and uh, they can get you onboarded to crypto and they can show you all the tools and the strategies and everything you need <laughs> to start buying some Bitcoin. That's probably why Bitcoin is uh, shooting up right now, right? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. And we learned some interesting stuff today. And we'll, we'll talk about it here at the end. So, with that, let, let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump into it here on the second day of MicroStrategy World Now.
so the first panel we're going to be talking about today is with Galaxy Digital. And this is a, uh, a good conversation between Mike Novogratz and Michael Saylor. And uh, in the beginning, Mike does what he always does. He starts talking about Bitcoin, how he jumped into the into the space and how he was in early. And uh, he talks about his time here in Wall Street and uh, about the financial markets in 2012 and about all sorts of stuff and, and how he avoids... Uh, <laughs> going to jail and, and you know he, he sidetracks a little bit but michael gets him back on track and starts talking about bitcoin corporations it's a very interesting conversation and i think it's you know out of all the of the conversations today this one sounded the most um you know buddy buddy right because i'm sure they know each other um for for quite some time right i'm, per, I'm sure they travel around the same circles so uh, take a listen. Listen, I started investing in Bitcoin in 2013 um, when it was $95. Uh, and I either was smart enough or made the mistake of talking about it uh, at an investor conference. Uh, and the next day I was on the cover of the FT. Uh, the only time I was on their cover of the FT uh, predicting that Bitcoin would go to a thousand. And luckily it did. Uh, and so I kind of got sucked into the the space of kind of unofficial or one of the unofficial spokesmen, uh, which has now been an eight year and fascinating journey. And so I've kind of seen Bitcoin evolve from this fringe asset, uh, wonderfully crafted, uh, built around uh, a small community of cypherpunks and libertarians and people that really didn't trust the center uh, to now eight years later, uh, you know, being known by over 120 million people around the the world. Uh, it's the largest distributed asset. And that's something that's really important to think about. Um, you know, the way what gives Bitcoin its worth isn't the spectacular code that Satoshi created, right? This, the code is pretty spectacular. But if we took the code and we called it U Owen coin or Mike Novogratz coin uh, and created a fork, it wouldn't be worth that much. Uh, sorry, you. Uh, the what gives it its worth is the social construct. It's worth, it's, it's got worth because people say it has worth. And so that really comes from community, right? It comes from a community, a network. And what's so interesting is I've seen over this eight years, networks continue to grow and grow. This, this you know, two day seminar that you're putting on is amazing because it's, in, it's introducing Bitcoin to a whole new network, right? This corporate CFOs, corporate treasury, network and why they should care about this. Uh, we've got insurance companies that are caring about it. We've got hedge funds that are caring about it. But we have we have Mike Novogratz's and Michael Saylor's uh, in every village of the world telling this story, this very important story that there's this new technology where you can store your wealth. Uh, it wouldn't be an important story if we didn't have central banks and Ministry of Finances and Treasury Departments printing money, you know, at a at a at a reckless rate. And so, but it is. And so, you know, you guys like Wences Casares, who's one of the fathers of this, you know, one of the best storytellers, it hit him so much because he came from Argentina and his partner came from Venezuela. Uh, and if you've been in places with hyperinflation, you, you feel it. And so, listen, I formed Galaxy uh, out of my family office in 2018. I had, had invested a lot in the 2017 bubble. I got involved in not just Bitcoin, but the whole crypto space. And, you know, I was a retired hedge fund manager. I spent my life as a macro hedge fund manager, first at Goldman Sachs and then at Fortress. And running a family office is a pretty nice gig. 
You're not good at retiring. <laughs> people, uh, well, people come to you, they pitch ideas. And so the thought of going back and building a business, I, I really contemplated and I had three things I cared about. One is, are you going to work with young people? Because that's where the good energy is. Two is, are you going to learn a lot? And three is, do you have something to, to, to add to the space? And, and I could check all those boxes. Uh, we started Galaxy as a bridge between institutions and the crypto community. Uh, can we bridge over? And, and in some ways, maybe in the long run, we're just a bridge, you know, a, a bridge in general, because the crypto community really is about peer-to-peer transa- transactions. And in the long run, decentralized finance might put us out of business. Uh, uh, but so that was our mission statement. And we have built now five different businesses. Uh, we have a direct investment business. We use our own money to invest in crypto. Matter of fact, Michael, you got a lot of credit for being the first kind of U.S. corporate to put Bitcoin on your balance sheet. You know, we had done that in Canada. Uh, we're a Canadian listed company, even though we're based in the U.S. in 2018. So, you know, we've got Bitcoin and other coins on our balance sheet. We have over 90 venture investments in the space. So we've invested in exchanges, in custody, in protocols, in the decentralized finance revolution all across the space. Um, we have a sales and trading business. So we're big liquidity providers. We trade over a billion dollars a day in, in tokens. And so we'll make deep markets to anyone who wants them. Uh, we have one of the biggest derivative businesses uh, selling structured products, doing derivatives uh, for mining companies, uh, other corporates who want to you know, limit their risk or do override, strat- override strategies on their Bitcoin. Uh, we have an investment banking business uh, going to corporates and saying, mostly corporates in the space, the crypto company space, but not only, and providing expertise. So I told that group, you need to develop as much domain expertise in each of these verticals as possible so we have something to add. Um, and we have an asset management product. Uh, so we have the only Mercer rated Bitcoin fund. Um, we have created the Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index, which was supposed to be, and I think will be the S&P 500 of the space. Uh, Bloomberg's been a great partner. Uh, we're launching an Ether, fu- Ether fund uh, right now. And we have a $300 million fund that invests in the virtual space. We call it Galaxy Interactive. And so NFTs, the virtual world, digital world. Uh, my mission statement really for the guys is, you know, we're going to, we're, we're disruptors, right? It's, it's systems change. And, you know, I thought a lot about when Michael first bought, you know, for MicroStrategy, is Bitcoin a smart investment for corporate treasuries? And my initial instinct was hesitation a little bit because, you know, corporate cash is a short duration asset in general, uh, or it can be, and Bitcoin's a long duration asset. Um, then I started thinking of a couple of things. The macro backdrop right now, to some degree, makes it imperative that with some of your cash, uh, you want to diversify. Uh, I just think Bitcoin's going to go a lot higher. So there's a there's a there's a bet to it, right? There's a speculative side to it. But I thought the much more important story, and I'm not sure if people have hit on this is it's sending a really important signal to to a part of America and a part of the world that cares a lot about this, right? So if you saw what happened with GameStop recently, where the horde got so frustrated with the center, 
right? We almost had a revolution on in financial markets uh, that was reminiscent of the revolution we almost saw at the Capitol with with the the alt right guys, kind of you know just that frustration. And so you'd be tone deaf as a corporation or as a person not to understand that there is this frustration out there. And Bitcoin and crypto is the currency of choice of millennials and Gen Z, period, end of story. Uh, It is the currency, uh, the social currency of the internet. And so it sends an amazingly powerful message, uh, both for stock price appreciation and to your customers, hey, that you care about them, that you're listening to them. And so kind of my broad advice in general to, to corporates is, hey, if you can take Bitcoin or another crypto as a payment system, right? can sell your hamburgers or your, you know, your nice suits uh, or your glasses, right? If that can be part of your uh, payment process, great, because you're listening to people. They want it. It's coming. Uh, if that's not your biz, even putting some of it on your balance sheet sends that very powerful message. Um, it's been de-risked in lots of ways. Uh, it was a lot riskier to buy when I bought it at $90 or even at $1,000 or $10,000 than it is to buy up here at $35,000. And I'm not guaranteeing the price goes straight up. It could go back down to $27,000 and go back up. There'll be volatility, right? We're trading at a, a 90 vol asset right now. But it's de-rest in a lot of different ways, right? There are amazing custody solutions. Uh, back when we first bought it, you thought, Jesus, what if I lose my key? What if I... That doesn't exist anymore. And, and I'm sure Michael yesterday took you through how he's custodied uh, his stuff, but there are plenty of great custody providers. Um, and so there's also this kind of reputational risk, like when Paul Tudor Jones bought it for hedge funds and Stan Druckenmiller bought it in his hedge fund, it, Bill Miller, you have these legendary investors, it, the career risk of looking dopey went away. Right. When we have three of the biggest insurance companies now buying Bitcoin for their general account, that needs Fed approval. It needs insurance regulator approval. And so the next insurance company isn't taking career risk. He's taking some market risk, but it's very different than career risk. And so when I used to talk about Bitcoin, I I had a sign. I'd rather look stupid than be stupid. But everyone thought I was stupid. Oh, my God. Or I was a little wacky. Now people don't. Now my phone rings off the hook and people want to understand it. And so. so, sorry. Uh, so, so if the companies are excited about Bitcoin and uh, they decided they want to buy into it and they're, uh, what is Galaxy Digital offer in terms of products and services for corporations that have gotten over that hurdle? Sure. Great. So first and foremost, I think we offer a sales force and, and, a, and a firm that understands the space as well as anybody, if not better. And so we want to educate you know, people and both how to buy it and, and what the whole ecosystem is. Um, we have a trading desk that's got deep liquidity. And so we can white glove people buying Bitcoin and storing it. Uh, we have a suite of custodians that we use from Fidelity to Bax to BitGo. Um, we have a derivative desk that is creative. So creative solutions. Some people want yield on their Bitcoin. Some people want are willing to give up some of the upside to have downside protected. And so we'll write derivatives in structured note form or an out, outright derivative form. Um, some people want to put it in a fund. Uh, we have the only Mercer rated fund. And so we really want to work with the, the treasurer or the, the, the CFO of each, of each individual client and figure out what they need. Um, we have an investment banking side that can come in and, 
you know, if they want to think about Jesus, do I want to expand my business into something that looks more crypto? So they can buy the underlying Bitcoin, they can buy a derivative, they can buy in the fund. Do you offer custody if they buy Bitcoin for you? Uh, do they custody it with you or they move it to another custodian? We custody it at either Fidelity, Backed or BitGo. Um, okay. And we made this bet a while ago that in most assets in the world, people don't custody where they buy, right? You want to separate custodian from, from trading. And so it's interesting in, in crypto, that isn't necessarily the case with lots of people. So it's kind of, you know, a mixed bag on how people think about it. Okay. Um, can you, can you describe your customer base, especially like any kind of corporations or like kind of clients? Yeah, listen, we, we started off like most with high net worth individuals. Uh, we have a bunch of hedge funds that trade with us. Uh, we have pension, you know, we're growing a pension fund business, an endowment business, uh, and a few corporates, uh, you know, the, the corporate thing is just starting in lots of ways. I think it's going to be one of the big growth, growth businesses, um, for all of the crypto space, uh, this year and next year, uh, we literally are hiring people. We've just hired five salesmen, uh, in the last two weeks, uh, gives you some sense of the demand that we're seeing uh, and the opportunity that we see. Can you say something about where you're licensed and what jurisdictions that you're doing business in? Sure. We are, uh, we have offices, first of all, in New York, Chicago, London, Hong Kong, Tokyo. Um, that's it. Uh, we're FINRA regulated. We're SEC regulated. Uh, right. We're a listed company. We're about a $3 billion or $2.8 billion market cap company. We've got a balance sheet over a billion dollars. Uh, and so we're well capitalized. Um, we trade on the Canadian stock market. Uh, and listen, we're a little, you know, when I talked about being this bridge between the institutional world and the crypto world, uh, we wear suits uh, most days and hoodies on some days. Uh, <laughs> right. The crypto world uh, in lots of ways reminds me of when Uber got started. Right. You're able to smash a bunch of rules and break things. And, and, and we didn't have that luxury. We pretty much play straight down the middle. I used to have a sign that says we're too rich to go to jail. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, even, even Gary Gensler, the new head of the SEC, he was really interesting. And he, he taught a class on uh, blockchain at MIT. And I taught one of his lectures or gave one of his lectures. And he said, when you regulate, you let small companies experiment and play in the gray zone, but you don't let big companies play in that. And so we started off as a, you know, a public company and therefore we've never played in the gray zone. And so we're pretty uh, buttoned up in terms of, you know, our, our processes around security, KYC and, and all the rest. Very interesting what he said about Gary Gensler. You know, he's going to be the new SEC chairman. And um, it was a very interesting tidbit that he said about how he or the way he runs things is he lets small companies operate in that gray area and uh, larger companies, not so much, um, which is fascinating. right? I've never heard that before, uh, but it makes sense. It, it really does. And you kind of see the complete opposite with Jay Clayton, right? Because there was a time when in 2017 he was going he was even going after developers. If you remember with Ether Delta, he went right after the developer who who created Ether Delta, which is 
you're talking about the tiniest of the tiniest, uh, you know, not even a company, a developer. So that just shows you how more uh, better off we are with uh, with this new SEC chairman. So, um, yeah, really interesting stuff coming from or insight coming from um, Mike there. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what this new chairman is going to do. I, I definitely think an ETF is definitely in the works, if not this year, then for sure next year. Right. And I'm, I'm even thinking like if if we get to 75K here by the end of March um, or even here at the beginning of April, if we get bullish signs for an ETF, that might even the ETF might even be the thing that catapults us here at the end of the year. That might be the catalyst. Right. So um, just something to keep an eye on, right? It's just something to, just something to keep in the back of our heads as we move forward. And as we get as we get closer to these months ahead, everything will start making more sense. So um, yeah, just a lot of stuff moving, a lot of moving parts. We'll keep you guys informed, that's for sure. Okay, so our next panelist, our next panel, I guess I should say, is with uh, Jesse Powell. And and honestly, Jesse Powell is probably one of my um, one of my favorite people in the space. I've never had the opportunity to meet him, unfortunately. Um, I've talked to him a couple times on Twitter. Um, he's a CEO and co-founder of Kraken. And to be honest with you guys, like if there was ever a place I could work at, like in 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 the crypto space or in the Bitcoin space, it would probably be Kraken. I'm not even lying. Like if there was ever an opportunity for me to like work somewhere. Um, like, you know, either as a system systems administrator or like, you know, I don't know, like if I, I would, would love to work at Kraken, I feel like, um, yeah, I'm just saying, like, I feel like that's, you know, I, when I look at the exchanges out there, like to me, that's just, to me, that's excellence. I don't know. And, and then just the way Jesse has always, uh, approached, the the Bitcoin and crypto space or presented himself is always to me scream professionalism. Um, I don't know, but um, his conversation with um, Michael Saylor here is probably one of my favorites of, of this whole conference, right? Because Jesse's such a down to earth guy. And then Michael Saylor is just, you know, very smart, right? Very, very intellectual. And, and just a, it was a great conversation back and forth about, you know, how Kraken started, you know, what their day-to-day processes are, uh, how corporations get involved. Um, some really interesting tidbits on how Kraken really monitors, you know, hundreds of thousands of traders over the world. And yeah, fascinating stuff. And uh, I think you are going to enjoy this panel probably the best. So take a listen. So, I mean, it's pretty much, you know, one of the great things about crypto is that it's a very um, kind of flat structure. Um, pretty much everyone has access to to all the same stuff. Um, there aren't like various layers of, um, you know, there are only like 10 guys with a seat at the exchange, for example. Um, all the retail consumers are trading directly on the exchange. Uh, so what's available to institutional that, that might be kind of like above and beyond what the normal client would get um, would be white glove service, you know, someone to call 24, seven, 365, um, potentially a, a credit line, potentially, um, in advance of, of funds or, you know, some kind of float, um, reduce confirmation times, uh, on crypto deposits. Um, 
you know, basically the, the, the tier for uh, the, the bar for getting verified uh, at, at the institutional level is obviously much higher than, than a retail client. Um, so generally, the more we feel like we can trust you, um, the more we're willing to, to extend credit or, you know, reduce confirmations and things like that. Okay. Um, do you want to describe your customer base, like especially any corporate clients? You know, who would you say your reference customers? What kind of business do they do with you? Sure. Um, you know, I, definitely the, the largest group is, is retail, um, but institutional clients are, are a huge part of that. Um, I would say earlier days, it was more um, hedge funds, uh, prop shops, guys that are just trading crypto on maybe all the exchanges. Um, lately, it's been more, um, I would say, more traditional sort of institutions that, that are interested in taking a buy and hold position in Bitcoin. Um, you know, they may be uh, publicly traded companies who who see what's happening with the U.S. dollar and want to you know hedge against that or you know diversify their balance sheet. Um, so I, I would say it's more of that lately, actually, like uh, less specul- speculative, um, less of the market makers, and and more just kind of like the buy and hold who see Bitcoin as a piece of their portfolio long term. Um, okay. So for those customers, can you tell us a little about, uh, where is Kraken license and what jurisdictions you do business in? Yeah. All over the world. Um, the United States, Canada, UK, Japan, um, UAE, I'm probably forgetting some, um, but those are just the places with licenses. Uh, we're doing business all over the world. I mean, all but a few sanctioned countries, basically, um, so we take clients from everywhere. Um, we've got bank accounts all over the world. You know, one of the great things about crypto is it trades 24, seven, 365 and, um, having bank accounts in different geographies actually is, is a great thing to have because you obviously have clients in different parts of the world. You may not want to wait, uh, an extra day to settle or to fund your account. So, um, that's been key to our success. Um, you know, I think, I think it's also potentially something that, that institutions may not be used to is, is not having these like market hours, uh, where, where things are closed after a certain time where you can just go to sleep and forget about it. Um, crypto is trading around the clock. So I think you, you really, it, I think to have conviction in your position or to set up, uh, automated trading in order to, to manage your position, um, while you're sleeping because the markets are just operating around the clock. Um, What's it like being CEO of a company that, uh, that trades a product 24, seven, 365. <laughs> what are the working hours of the team or you, uh, do you have shifts or anything or how do, there are, how do you, well, yeah, I mean, them? some, some guys have shifts. So I'd say like, like the customer support team has shifts, uh, some of like the DevOps guys that are, they're running the infrastructure have shifts where people are on call. Um, you know, we have regularly scheduled maintenance every Saturday for, about five minutes, we go, uh, down to, to do some upgrades. Um, but that's about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's from the beginning, you know, we had to build it this way. This there's, there's not like, you know, what's, what's so nice about the, uh, for the centralized equities exchanges that they basically have a monopoly on, on the asset that they're trading. If, if they go down, there aren't other markets around the world that are continuing to, to trade this asset. They can take a breather. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Um, right. If, if Kraken's down, people are saying, Hey, there's 20 other exchanges where this is still trading. Uh, what's going on? You know, I, I need to trade to keep up with what's happening. Um, so the, 
the hundred percent uptime thing was just something we had to do from the beginning. All the crypto exchanges do it. We don't get much sleep. Um, everyone's on call all the time. You know, it's definitely not a job to take. Uh, if you're looking for a guaranteed nine to five, you know, I tell people like, look, if you want that, uh, go take a job at the DMV. Um, this is, you know, bleeding edge technology. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're paving the way for the future here. So uh, okay. people, people love it. Yeah. It's just really amazing. So let's talk about the typical customer journey. Okay. Yeah. I'm a corporation. I want to do business with your firm. What's it like to onboard? What requirements do you have for me? How long is it going to take? What kind of challenges do they, do they face? You know, how do you coach them through that? Yeah. So uh, if you apply as a, as a corporation, um, you'll be assigned basically someone to walk you through the process of, of getting onboarded. Um, you'll get a document to fill out, which will ask for all the standard corporate documentation, like as if you were going to open a bank account, very similar or a brokerage account for your corporation. Um, so it'll be stuff like who's the ultimate beneficial owner, um, you know, name and birthday and corporate tax ID and, you know, all, all the normal stuff. Um, must for proof of residence, um, photo IDs, uh, all that kind of stuff. Usually, um, you know, where, where it can get hairy is where someone has got uh, a corporation in, you know, some exotic location where, you know, no one else is running a company. And, um, you know, as you can imagine, we're dealing with clients all over the world. Sometimes we see, you know, really strange situations. I mean, the, the availability of data varies all over the world and, and the corporate <clears throat> documents vary all over the world. Uh, so sometimes we have to go and do a bit of research to find out, you know, like, is this corporation in Myanmar or whatever, like even legit, you know, is this like how the documents actually look? Um, so, uh, it's tough, but we've got a really great team of people all over the world. Um, and, uh, you know, our support team speaks 20 plus languages. So, uh, we feel really good about being able to, to try to get everyone into crypto and, um, ultimately being able to onboard, you know, any legit company. Okay. So, um, Let's talk about Bitcoin. What's your outlook for the Bitcoin marketplace for the coming one to three years? You know, I'm, I'm like really bad at predicting pr the price. I probably, you know, if I were better at this, I would not have um, sold any Bitcoin. You know, <laughs> nine Don't years sell ago. your Bitcoin. <laughs> Don't sell it. That's the first rule. Yeah, I probably should have sold my kidney and bought more, more Bitcoin uh, back in the day. Um, you know, I think with all the growth that we're seeing, um, you know, the exchange volumes are up across the board. The signups are up across the board. You know, just last week we had our all-time high day that beat our last all-time high day by like five x. You know, so Whoa, um, really, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the growth has been insane lately. Um, I, you know, it, it seems like, and also just all the stuff happening with Wall Street bets and with the traditional brokerages, and I think people seeing that. Um, the existing system for equities just like isn't transparent. I mean, it's really disadvantageous to the little guy. Um, I think people are suddenly seeing crypto, the, these guys who've been trading stocks um, as, as maybe a, a more fair asset to trade. It's also incredibly volatile, uh, which, you know, traders seem to like. So um, I think we've seen a ton of people come in from that. I think we're also just seeing a flood of institutional investors come in um, the having, you know, has just occurred, uh, you know, historically there's been a bit of a slump between the halvings, um, you know, toward sort of, uh, the end. So I would say like three years out, um, you, you know, we may continue up for a while and then, and then we may come down a bit, um, and then back up, I would say like 
following the next halving. Um, but you know, I think we're easily going to cross a hundred thousand dollars in this next cycle. Did you, did you get uh, a bunch of new accounts after this wall street bets like debacle, or do you think there's any, is it driving any uh, additional retail accounts into the space? Yeah, What's absolutely. Yeah. We, we saw a direct response to that. Yeah. Massive spike in retail account openings um, following that, just like in the last week, um, lots of people signing up to trade Dogecoin. Uh, so if you want to trade Dogecoin or, or Doge stocks, dog stocks, you can, you can do it on Kraken. So you have your finger on the pulse in a way, because you can see day by day as people are setting up accounts or they're, or they're, they're acting, you can see their reaction to the macro economy. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty interesting to watch and, and not just to the, the macro economy, but, um, you know, in specific regions as well, like several years ago, Cyprus uh, gave every bank account holder a, a haircut on their accounts. And we saw right. like loads of people coming in from Cyprus to buy Bitcoin at that time, you know, to, to escape that. So um, it kind of gives you, like, you see these little blips happen and you see, and you'll look like, Oh, like, why are we getting all these account signups from, you know, Myanmar, for example, like what's happening there. And then you look and sure enough, you know, there's like a coup or something going on. So your, so, your signups are like a referendum on bank confidence or confidence in the existing status quo. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You can certainly look at it that way. Whoa. Okay. So, um, we got a bunch of corporations, uh, here with us today. What advice would you give to a corporation that's looking to integrate Bitcoin either into its P and L or into its balance sheet? Um, you know, I think it depends on how you want to structure this. You know, I, I think dollar cost averaging in is a great way to, to get in if you're not sure about kind of like when to time the market. Um, but certainly, uh, doing it now, you know, is better than, than forgetting about it, kind of getting stuck in a decision, um, trap, you know, where, where you're trying to make up your mind for five years. Um, so, you know, I think it's very hard to time the market, but, um, if you're willing to hold for five plus years, you know, I think you're basically guaranteed to, to make money. Um, so I, I think the main thing is just to, to get in, um, learn about the technology. Obviously there are a lot of things, um, a lot of scary things that are, are being said about crypto on a daily basis. You know, you, you hear FUD like uh, the Bitcoin price is entirely driven by Tether or, or there are double spends on the Bitcoin network. Or, you know, if you just don't understand the fundamental technology or you don't have conviction, uh, you may just sell based on some, some news. Uh, and let me tell you, like the journalists that cover crypto largely just do not understand crypto and, and some are just incredibly bearish on it. So I think if you're taking the position that this is something you want to hold, you know, have some conviction in it, commit to holding it for at least five years. Um, and, uh, you know, you can buy it on Kraken. You can set up an account yourself and do it that way. Kraken also has an OTC desk where, you know, you can just get on the phone and talk to someone and send a wire transfer and, you know, receive your Bitcoin uh, in the same day, you know, very easily. Um, if you don't want to custody the Bitcoin yourself, you know, Kraken's got a flawless track record with security. You can keep the Bitcoin um, on your Kraken account. Uh, we've got, you know, a lot of advanced security that will protect your Bitcoin. Um, we can also, uh, our ROTC guys and our account managers can can help you even set up your own self-custody solution if you want to do that. Uh, so we've got a lot of resources for for institutions or anyone looking to to get into Bitcoin. Um, Kraken's a great place to start. Um, you know, reach out to me or, or our OTC desk and we'll be happy to help. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you you don't want uh, we don't really want corporations to buy Bitcoin on a whim. You want you want to actually know why you're buying it because otherwise you'll read some fud and you'll sell it. It's like yeah. I guess in the extreme we've got the Dave Portnoy's who he buys a stock on a Wednesday morning, he gets panicked and he sells it on <laughs> Thursday morning, and then he loudly tweets about it. <laughs> you know, like we yeah. just saw one company that will remain nameless that bought Bitcoin and then dumped it because they thought there was a double spend, and then they put in a press yeah. release about how they did it. It's, yeah, it's it's you just shake your head. Unbelievable. I don't. Yeah. Don't do that. Um, do you see any companies pursuing strategies that differentiate their offerings with Bitcoin? Have you, or or uh, what's your view on that? Uh, do, do you mean like they're selling uh, like, like companies a, a that are actually integrating Bitcoin into their product to try to to try to grab market share from another company, like maybe a fund or insurance? Yeah. Company. Well, I mean, we see PayPal doing that. Uh, PayPal just. I think they support five different cryptos. Um, those cryptos are coming to Venmo soon. Uh, Cash App supports Bitcoin. Um, Robinhood. I think we'll see more a, of that. A bunch of cryptos. Um, yeah, I do. I, I think it's going to become a, a necessity to remain competitive. And, you know, and I think we're eventually going to see crypto start to appear in point of sale terminals as well. So um, I think in order to keep up, yeah, everyone's going to have to do it. Obviously, more you know, Bitcoin is the currency of, of the world. So it's just inevitable that's supported everywhere. So there's like, there's two different models here. One model is I just buy a hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin, put it in my treasury and I drop it to cold storage and I forget about it. And that one probably requires like an OTC desk uh, or, right. or something like I'm going to wire you a hundred million and say, buy me at this, at this price or, or somehow. And then the other is, I need to synchronize 27 million accounts every day, buying and selling as they deposit or withdraw. And that requires some kind of gateway or API or something. Right. Um, does Kraken offer, uh, offer services for one or the other? Or, or what kind of capabilities do you really need to be able to, uh, to do this stuff? Yeah, well, if you were, say, a PayPal and you didn't want to actually create an order book, you know, exchange for yourself, um, you just wanted to to give people, you could either just give them price exposure to Bitcoin um, and you could hold the Bitcoin on the back end, or you could give them real Bitcoin, allow them to buy it. And, you know, in which case um, you have to source that Bitcoin from somewhere, probably from an exchange like Kraken uh, or from from various OTC brokers. Um, you know, some of these um Brokers you know, like Robinhood, for example, are probably sourcing coins from an OTC broker or or a few, maybe a handful. You know, they're they're getting quotes from. Um, so you can do it either way. You know, you could Kraken has an API. You can plug in directly to Kraken's API. Um, you can trade. You know, if you wanted to, you could manage through one one account um, trades that are sort of you know as a proxy happening on all of your clients, individual accounts, you know, and you manage that through your own um, service. Um, or you basically just buy Bitcoin in batches or something, you know, once, once a day you say like, you know, how much do we think we're going to sell? Okay. Buy a thousand coins and then okay. you distribute it, you know, you sell it throughout the day, sort of as if you were, uh, you know, like a grocery store or something, you know, you go to the farmer in the morning, pick up your milk and then you sell it throughout the day. Um, there, there are a few different approaches to doing it. Obviously being able to buy it on demand from the exchange directly as you're selling it, you know, reduces your, your exposure. Um, but a few ways to do it. 
Okay. So how do you compare your firm to other vendors in the space? You know, how, how should we think about Kraken? You have a specialty? Uh, yeah, well, I'd say um, security is, is the thing that, that we thought of first when we were building the exchange, um, just because we were coming out of, you know, back in June of 2011, the largest exchange at the time, Mt. Gox, got hacked. And uh, we saw that there have been several other exchange hacks throughout time. So we just felt like when we started the exchange, um, this industry was going to be heavily targeted by hackers. Uh, and, you know, that goes for, for all of our, our clients as well. You know, we, we try to warn them, like, be extremely careful about your holdings because, you know, this is like the best thing you could steal. Um, people are going to be coming after you from all angles. Um, what do you see as the key elements of security or, or things that either customers need to do or you encourage them to do or you do on their behalf to make them more secure? You know, it, it, cold storage setups are, are high up there on the list. You know, um, we pride ourselves in our security, but, you know, we're, we're a centralized custodian. Um, ultimately, you know, we could be hacked just like any bank could be robbed. Um, we can also receive government orders and it happens all the time, you know, where government says, Hey, freeze that guy's account. We're, we're interested in this, in this guy. Um, you know, so depending on how much you trust your government, uh, there are a lot of untrustworthy governments in the world. You know, you may want not want to leave your coins somewhere where, uh, they're kind of subject to government control. Um, if you withdraw them and you put them in your own cold storage, you know, then, then it's just on you. Um, you, you control your keys. So, um, other than that, you know, being extremely careful about, just who you tell about your Bitcoin holdings. And obviously if you're a publicly traded company, if it's material, you probably need to disclose that. Um, but you know, if you're an individual or you're a small fund, you may not want to disclose that, you know, you may want to not want to publicly talk about how you're holding all this Bitcoin unless you feel extremely confident in your own security, you know, and, uh, the kinds of attacks we see are like spear phishing attacks. You know, people may not even attack you directly. They might hack your grandma's email account send you an email from your grandma's email account saying, Hey, like, would you open this file? Uh, and then, you know, your computer's taken over and your coins are gone. So, um, the segregation piece is really important. Like don't keep your, your, all your coins on the same computer that you're browsing the web with on a daily basis. Um, you know, it's one of the great things about Bitcoin is you just don't have to trust someone else with the custody. Um, but you know, like I said, if, if you don't trust yourself and a lot of people don't, um, I think Kraken's a pretty good place to keep it. And, and there are other, other crypto custodians out there as well. Yeah. I and mean, y'all know, I don't really, I don't really give out advice on where to go for an exchange. I, I steer clear of that. I've always have, you know, um, I've learned early on, um, when I started doing this to, to stay away from that kind of talk, because it always gets you in trouble as soon as you start, you know, giving advice of where to go buy a Bitcoin, you know, uh, you know, on Telegram, I'll, 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 I'll say where I go and, and do things, but I'll never give advice to, to where uh, to get uh, Bitcoin or anything like that. I'll just talk about where I go for things. Um, uh, yeah. So I, 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 me personally, I love Kraken personally. That's just me. But um, to each their own for everybody else. Um, the next panel is Grayscale. And I think this is an important panel. I think this is one that everybody should should listen to because Grayscale is probably, you know, the most important company. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not even joking. Like, well, maybe DCG, their parent company. But besides them, it's Grayscale. The, the, it's the most important company in crypto, uh, in Bitcoin. Uh, I'm not even joking. It truly is. 
Um, it's DCG and then it's Grayscale. Uh, it's just the way it is. When we look back 20 years from now, um, they'll probably own the world. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? <laughs> I'm not. So we have to listen to what they say. Uh, not, I'm not, not saying like we're, <laughs> we're slaves or anything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we have to, we have to pay attention, right? You're invested in Bitcoin. You probably should know who owns the largest majority, <laughs> right? So uh, should hear what they have to say. Uh, so yeah, this is with Michael Sonnenshein, Sonnen, Sonnenshine, Sonnenshein, Sonnenshein, Sonnenshine. I think it's Sonnenshine. Uh, it's interesting because when when I first uh, started following Grayscale and Michael here, he uh, he wasn't the CEO. He was actually he started very much lower, and to see him the CEO now is congratulations, Michael. That's awesome. I mean to see him climb up the ladder. That's uh, pretty cool. So now he's in charge and um, yeah, he seems to be doing a good job. He's probably the one responsible for all the commercials for Grayscale. I, I wouldn't be surprised, right? He's the one that the drop gold campaign It's probably him, right? Um, has an edge to it. I like, I like that campaign, right? Millions of years, everybody had gold and now it's time to drop it. And then you have gold falling from the sky, right? <laughs> I, I, I really think it's just, I think Bitcoin's inevitable. And I can't wait till somebody makes a commercial. Maybe, maybe it's Grayscale where it's just like Bitcoin's inevitable. It's just it's just like inevitable keeps flashing on the screen or something. And then finally, like, you know, somebody gets it at the end. You're like, whoa, Bitcoin is inevitable. Anyways, here's a panel from Grayscale with Michael Sun and Shine. Take a listen. First of all, thank you for having me, Michael. And uh, thank you for this event. This is fantastic. Um, it is a pleasure to speak to all of you. Um, as Michael mentioned, I'm CEO of Grayscale Investments. We are the world's largest digital currency asset management business, uh, topping at right about $30 billion um, of assets under management. Um, our business dates back to 2013 when we launched um, our very first investment product, um, which is still today our flagship offering, which is called Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Um, it is a long-only passively managed Bitcoin investment product, and today is the world's largest Bitcoin investment product. You know, I think if we look back to late 2013, our founder, a gentleman named Barry Silbert, was early to realize that investors of all shapes and sizes, individuals, high net worth individuals, family offices, hedge funds, pensions, endowments, and now certainly corporations would want to have exposure to digital assets. But back then, and largely still today, they exist outside of the traditional places where investment allocations are being made, where investors are typically accessing stocks, bonds, ETFs, whatever it may be. And to address that head on, um, we decided to launch a whole family of investment products that would give investors secure, compliant, regulated exposure to the digital currency space. And so today that has expanded now into a family of nine investment products. So eight of them are single currency uh, products. And our last product is a diversified basket of large cap uh, digital assets. And so I think where we've had a lot of success over the years amassing AUM is that, number one, most investors, whether you're a high net worth individual, a family office, a hedge fund, pension, corporation, um, is used to relying on other folks 
uh, to handle investments for them. They buy a stock, they buy an ETF, they buy some treasuries. It is going to settle and work through a custodian or a prime broker, et cetera. And so by having these solutions available to investors, um, we've given them a really compliant way to do that. Not to mention that if you don't feel comfortable or don't have the technological wherewithal to handle digital currencies directly, or your mandate doesn't allow you to uh, directly have a bearer instrument in your control, uh, the Grayscale family of products is a really easy way to gain digital currency exposure. Okay, so we've got a lot of corporations online and uh, corporations have special interests and this is they're all interested in Bitcoin. How how do they get plugged into Bitcoin? So I guess, can you go into more detail on the kinds of Bitcoin related products or services you, you would offer to a corporation? Sure. So Grayscale Bitcoin Trust um, is our long only Bitcoin product. Um, it is purely Bitcoin exposure, just beta exposure, no cash, no leverage, no trading, no arbitrage, no rehypothecation of the underlying coins. Uh, a corporation could come to Grayscale on any day it wishes and subscribe into the fund at net asset value. And that would be giving them just directionally long Bitcoin exposure. And they'd be buying an investment. It has a QCIP, it's audited, financial statements, has an offering memorandum, risk disclosures, you're signing a subscription agreement. Um, and actually, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is the first and only SEC reporting company um, that is a, a digital currency investment product. Um, so a lot of investors you know, look to this product because they enjoy those additional protections of SEC reporting, 8Ks, 10Ks, 10Qs, etc. Now, if a corporation comes to us and says, we'd like to put $50 million into Bitcoin or maybe a little more like they did with you, like you guys did Michael MicroStrategy. Um, we are actually going out into the market and buying as much Bitcoin for as much money as being deployed into the fund. It's completely one for one. There's nothing synthetic about it. And we'll be issuing newly, newly issued shares of the fund. So our AUM would grow by that $50 million. We'd have sourced $50 million worth of Bitcoin. And now that investor is able to have that directionally long exposure. What we've done rather than offering a traditional redemption program with a certain frequency um, is instead gotten this product to trade on the public markets. So Grayscale Bitcoin Trust trades on the OTCQX market here in the US, where many ADRs trade, Volkswagen, Roche, Adidas, etc., um, under the symbol GBTC. And so once you have passed the statutory holding period for those newly created shares, which is only six months, you are then eligible to sell those shares out into the public market if you wish at any point past that six month time horizon. And that's how you get liquidity on your investment. Okay. So uh, there's, there's a lot of increase in corporate interest over the past year. You're uh, kind of a unique situation because you have probably the, the biggest institutional business in the world. I guess I would be interested in hearing about your customer base and your, uh, cor especially corporate clients. Do you have any reference customers and what kind of business are they doing with you? Sure. So number one, we take the confidentiality of our clients exceedingly, exceedingly, um, you know, to heart. So we do not disclose who our clients are other than those who have public 
reporting obligations. Um, so there are certainly investors who own shares of this product that have to file 13Ds and 13Fs, et cetera, disclosing the, their holdings with us. And um, those are certainly wi widely available. Um, that being said, I would say if I look back at 2020, um, greater than 85% um, of the $5.7 billion we raised last year came from institutional investors. Now, a lot of that institutional client base was hedge funds, but certainly over the course of the year, as we started to see, you know, folks like MicroStrategy and Square and others um, really be the pioneers that have really now provided air cover for other corporate participation um, in this asset class, we've started to really have really good dialogues and starting to get allocations both from corporate clients, as well as we've started to see the conversation become a lot more actionable from the pension and endowment space. Um, although I would disclaim that on the pension and endowment front, it's coming a little bit more so outside the U.S. than it is from within the U.S., which is just an interesting anecdote. Um, so yeah, very, very heavily skewed institutional base. Yeah, it makes so much sense for pensions and endowments. And I guess I guess uh, it makes even a lot more sense if you're a pension and endowment in Europe and interest rates are negative. <laughs> that <laughs> might be part of that boost. Indeed. Um, Okay, so everybody wants to know where you where's Grayscale license and what jurisdictions do you do business in? Sure, um, we do business um, globally. Um, Grayscale sells its investment products through our sister firm Genesis. You you all just heard from my my colleague Mike Morrow. Um, so we sell our securities through a registered broker dealer, the Genesis Trading Broker Dealer. Uh, Genesis also acts as the authorized participant. So they are a regulated broker dealer with a bit license. So any of the underlying tokens being purchased to satisfy investment coming into any of the Grayscale products is solely being sourced through Genesis. And again, given their status, they have to source their um, tokens from counterparties that meet those AML KYC obligations as a broker dealer. In addition to that, Grayscale is audited. Um, we, we work with a company called Friedman. Um, and then in the case of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust and the Grayscale Ethereum Trust, these are SEC reporting companies. So I know that this sounds um, at times almost like, well, that's not such a big deal. A lot of things are SEC reporting. What's such a big deal about this is the fact that Grayscale Bitcoin Trust goes all the way back to 2013. And we were able to work with the SEC to help them understand every aspect of the product, the service providers, the risk factors, the operations of the product, how fair valuation is done, every aspect that goes into running this product in order to get them comfortable. We elected to become an SEC reporting company and to hold ourselves to that higher standard because that's what honestly we felt investors wanted and, and quite frankly deserved. And so in terms of being an SEC reporting company, you don't see that being a newsmaker often because most of the time, any product or company that goes public on NYSE or NASDAQ, et cetera, is from day one an SEC reporting company. We trading on the OTC markets were uh, having to report under the alternative reporting standards and have now elected um, to hold ourselves to a higher standard being SEC reporting. 
You know, I can empathize with you on that because we've been a public company for 22 years. And people used to say to me, isn't it a drag to be public and have to file <laughs> quarterly reports? And wouldn't you rather just go private? And I said, I said, you know, in retrospect, being a public company and, and going through that, that SEC reporting process, it makes you a better company because Internal you, you, you have more discipline. Yeah, of course. You know, it's having that kind of discipline forces you to not put things off and it, there's more rigor. And ultimately, over the long run, I think it makes you a better firm. It's, it's been a significant investment, headcount, processes, internal controls, committees, you know, all of the things that go into staying in compliance with that um, has been uh, a welcome challenge and, and something that has honestly also benefited us by opening up our investor base. A lot of investors are looking for that to be built in, particularly when they're going into an asset class they haven't invested in before. Yeah, it's the gold standard for counterparty trust in the world. I mean, everywhere in the world, really. Okay, so what's the typical customer journey for a corporation that decides to do business with your firm? So I'd say nowadays, um, 95% of those types of clients are going into Bitcoin only. Um, these are typically folks that have said, you know, Bitcoin is where I'm most comfortable. I've done the most homework, the most research. That's where the most resources are available to me. And if I'm going to do anything in crypto, it's going to be in Bitcoin into the most notable and, and widest of, um, of digital currencies out there. Um, there has, however, been an uptick in a different conversation, which is there is a growing appreciation that the asset class is um, more than just Bitcoin um, and this idea that folks should be allocating. And so we've started to see an uptick in our diversified fund, which is market cap weighted. So it obviously does skew quite heavily to Bitcoin, but then also in lets investors gain exposure to Ethereum, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash. And so I would say if you asked me this question about 18 months ago, um, a lot of these conversations still included Bitcoin 101 and 201. How are we going to know there's only 21 million? The divisibility of Bitcoin, who created it? Where did it come from? Um, a lot of those conversations also used to include regulatory um, considerations and there being discomfort that there wasn't enough regulatory clarity to meaningfully move into the space. None of that is part of the conversation anymore. Today's conversations are us facing off initially with investors being as well-versed as we've ever seen them before. We're having conversations around portfolio construction. Where does this fit within their portfolios? Um, you know, Michael, we've certainly been a big proponent of seeing investors rotate out of assets like gold, um, historical stores of value, antiquated stores of value, and into assets like Bitcoin. Um, we've seen investors allocate uh, thinking about this, you know, certainly at the riskiest end of their portfolio spectrum, maybe more akin to an early stage technology investment or venture capital. Um, so we do a lot of conversation around portfolio construction as well as portfolio sizing. Um, on the conservative end of the spectrum, we're seeing maybe 25 to 50 basis points of exposure. And over time, we're seeing some investors get as high as four or 500 basis points of exposure. Um, and I think whereas these conversations were once characterized by volatility and that being a deterrent or a hesitation, 
you know, when I think back to March of 2020, when COVID brought the world to a grinding halt and crypto fell precipitously, even more so than a lot of other asset classes, that type of day is the day that investors are calling us up trying to invest quickly and trying to take advantage of pullbacks in those prices, not calls characterized by, you know, how could I have done this? This is a bad investment, et cetera. And so we've seen very consistently investors using pullbacks in price to opportunistically average down. And then I think the other part of the conversation that we have with folks today, because today people really are generally coming to us or engaging with us with high intention. Um, it's about timing um, and both the timing for making investment as well as the overall time of how long they should be thinking about this investment. Typically, um, depending on investors' order size or how much of an allocation they want, we work with them to design a program that you know, puts them into the trade over a series of days or weeks or months, depending on what it is. And then thinking about the time horizon, these are investors that are putting this capital to work for, call it at a minimum, the next five to 10 years. And in, much, in some cases, much further out on the calendar than that. So I guess that leads to the next logical question, which is uh, if people are taking a longer time horizon view, what's your outlook for the Bitcoin marketplace over the coming one, two, three, four years? I think that if you are a corporation listening to this and you kind of looked at Bitcoin in 2017 and you're looking at Bitcoin again now, I cannot stress to you enough how different the market dynamic is today than it was three years ago when we had our last digital asset Bitcoin rally. Today, you have seen the development of derivatives. You've seen a much healthier two-sided market, a much more global market, uh, the build-out of infrastructure, the picks and the shovels of this industry, exchanges, AML, KYC, order management systems, tax lock, um, accounting, uh, reporting systems. I mean, you have to remember that digital assets um, came along like Bitcoin and many systems that exist today don't account for something that has eight decimal places. So there's been a lot of catch up being played in and around this industry. And when you have, I think, essentially unlimited or perpetual fiscal stimulus being injected into our system, investors are increasingly looking to scarce assets, verifiably scarce assets like Bitcoin. You have folks like my friend, Michael Saylor, um, getting into Bitcoin um, alongside some other really notable folks who have long been Bitcoin curious or Bitcoin participants, but have been much more um, quiet about their participation in the space. The likes of Square and MicroStrategy and Paul Tudor Jones and Drunken Miller and all of these advocates getting into the space, not to mention PayPal and a lot of the other financial services incumbents are creating a lot more air cover for folks to participate. Um, and I think that we are now on the precipice when you combine that with um, that very, very large kind of anti-Wall Street um, sentiment that is out there now, um, a lot more participation um, coming into the market. And at the end of the day, Bitcoin is a very simple asset to value. The supply is known and predictable. Um, and so the price for Bitcoin really is a function of demand and investors today are allocating to Bitcoin because they believe they're buying a piece of something that they know is verifiably scarce 
of which the demand for it is only going to go up over time. So for the companies that are watching right now um, that are interested in integrating Bitcoin into their P&L or into their balance sheet, what kind of advice would you have for them? Well, I think the first piece is education and it's events like this, Michael, that, that really do that. You know, I know you and I have spent time talking about what it took to kind of, um, you know, convince your peers at MicroStrategy that this was the right move for you and, and your investors. Um, and education is the biggest piece of it. Um, in, in having been a former banker myself and been in this space for the past seven years, I have not found a single person who's actually, and I really do mean actually, done the homework to dig in on this asset class who has not come out on the other side of that exercise completely amazed. And it is always the folks that bulk at this or are naysayers who really have not spent the time looking at this, look at the history of money, look at what inflation has been, not only in the US, but all over the world. Um, and so education is a key component of it. And certainly my team um, and myself individually are, are here to help. Um, we've written a ridiculous amount around portfolio construction, valuation, primers. We do teach-ins, roundtables constantly with corporations and other types of investors to get folks comfortable. So education is the first piece of it. And then I think the other piece of it um, is, is really kind of shrugging off this idea of timing. Um, I have been fortunate to deal with some of the world's most notable and, and successful investors. And I have never, and I mean never, seen someone successfully time their entrance into Bitcoin. It's probably because they didn't have Thor Premium. And, and I disagree with that last part wholeheartedly. Um, he forgot one major thing, staying informed. It's It's one thing to invest in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but not not staying informed is just irresponsible, right? That's what that's what the majority of us do with our 401ks, right? We're told to throw your money in your 401k and forget about it. Every, you know, every paycheck. Throw your money in your 401k and don't look at it, right? And I, I don't agree with that approach at all. And, you know, it makes sense for, you know, certain individuals who who make a certain amount of money every month or, you know, but, you know, what Bitcoin is really about, it's about owning your future, you know, owning your money and 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 watching it grow over time. And, and so I guess for corporations who have a balance sheet and can, you know, don't have to pay attention to it, you know, until like every quarter or something. But like for for people that are, you know, struggling out there or people that are looking to the future and, and wanting things to happen, you know, they have to they have to pay attention to that kind of stuff. And, and that's staying informed. And that's something like what we do here with other premium and just keeping people informed with what's going on in the space. You don't really have to make any moves. Right. And, but you do. You should pay attention. You should know what's going on. Right. At least that's how I feel. Okay, so let's jump into key takeaways. I feel like these last two days for MicroStrategy World Now was, was very, very insightful. I feel like we learned a lot of things about MicroStrategy as a company. You know, uh, they're very on point. <laughs> they're very precise. I, I had no idea just how on point precise this company really is. They open sourced everything. All their videos are online right now. You have to, I think you have to sign up still. 
I don't think there's a payment that you have to pay now. Um, but the, I'll put the reference stocks. They're still in there in the newsletter if you want them. Um, one of the things that I learned today was that corporations are still piling in, are still piling in to Bitcoin. And this is going to keep continuing into the, the rest of this year and into 2021. Like this is not going to stop. So this is where we're going to see the, the, the rest of where Bitcoin is. This is the rest of the Bitcoin adoption. Um, surprisingly, you know, what, what Jesse was saying that, uh, all these exchanges, uh, the largest group amongst them is still retail. That's surprising to me. Right. And that how wall street bets, you know, was, we saw that surge. And remember I was complaining last week about how Coinbase went down. Well, rightly so it was because everybody wanted to trade doge right and we're going to do a whole thriller coin talk right after this episode um so look for that to come out we're going to talk all about that um but it's surprising right really surprising that the largest group still is retail it's probably because the vast majority of millennials and, and gen xers you know like like novagrats was saying is uh is uh it, they use cri- cryptocurrency um, and then also what Jesse was saying that they're, they're passing their previous record days, right? And, and that's, that's starting here early in 2021. That's surprising too. Really surprising. Um, it's kind of scary, you know, it's kind it makes you want to take a step back and, and really think about the possibilities of, 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 uh, where Bitcoin is going this year. I know a lot of you, uh, Personally, because I, I get messages from y'all on Telegram, I know a lot of you have looked at your block folio and are probably in shock <laughs> the past couple days. I know I am uh, seeing that grow. Um, it can get scary. <laughs> it, can, it can get scary sometimes. Um, yeah, you just got to pinch yourself and, and just thank the lucky stars um, that we got in when we did. Okay. You know, this is going to be the first Super Bowl this weekend that I will not be betting Bitcoin with. Yeah, it's kind of sad. <laughs> every every year for Super Bowl, I will always bet Bitcoin and I always uh, either lose or win. But this, this is the first year I won't be betting uh, on the Super Bowl with Bitcoin. I'll be using uh, DraftKings instead. Because I realize how valuable it is, right? I did it last year because it was a bear market, but <laughs> this year I'm just like, you know, no, I can't do that. I can't, I can't spare it, you know. And uh, and it's not because I just don't want to part with it. It's because I realize just how valuable it is at this point, you know. I read an article today saying how there's probably only 14 million Bitcoin in circulation right now. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about the single most scarcest asset in the world, and it's digital. See you next time.